Well, uh, good morning uh, to everybody, all of you at our 95th Street campus and those of you at Bolingbrook, Wheaton, and Hobson. So good to be with you. So good to continue our study of heaven. You know, we're desperately trying to get our minds and hearts around this reality that's bigger than this short life. You know, life is just passing by before we know it. I'm sorry to be a bearer of uh, maybe unwanted news, but we're going to be done. And we're going to be transitioning into eternity. And Scripture, particularly in these two chapters we're studying, Revelation 21 and 22, is giving us a window into eternity. We started with a message entitled, The Environment. Will we be floating on clouds? No. The environment of heaven. Then week two was the king of heaven. We discovered last week that the greatest part of heaven is God's presence. We will have friendship with God like we've only dreamed of in heaven. And today we come to a message entitled, The Tree of Heaven. Yes, my friends, this tree is huge in our understanding of our eternal home. Allow me to start by uh, showing you a, a burned broom. Now, uh, this is to help me tell a story of what, a broom like this that I saw 18 years ago. I didn't keep the broom. I burned this yesterday uh, to illustrate the point. But uh, 18 years ago, my daughter Jora was just a baby. That's how I know how long ago it was. I came home, and in the, gr- the garbage can was this just totally fried broom. And I'm like, that ain't good. Came in the house, and as soon as I came in, I smelled spoke. That ain't good. I found my wife, and I'm like, darling? And she said, well, Jeff, she said, my mom, I was gone, and I had my mom come over and babysit Jorah. And while mom was babysitting Jorah, there was a fire in our house. And I'm just like, you're kidding. You got to remember, these are the days when I was highly overprotect both Jen and I. You know, when you have your first child and she's a baby, she's a princess, you know, and we hardly let anybody watch her. I mean, I wanted to do a background check on my mother-in-law. You never know, you know. And, uh... <laughs> it's amazing how things change with time. You know, a couple decades later, three kids, I'm like, anybody want a babysit? Sure. <laughs> Stranger walking down the street, want a babysit? You know, you're a criminal? That's okay. We all make mistakes. Come on in, you know. It's like, anyway. But back then, I was overprotective, and so I was getting upset. I'm like, you're kidding me. We entrust our princess to your mother, and she lights the house on fire? You know, I'm, I'm really getting worked up, and Jen stops me. She goes, you're jumping to conclusions, Jeff. Don't do that. Here's the story. She said, it's your fault. She goes, you, you know your idea to store the broom next to the hot water heater? Yeah, not a good idea. She said, one of the bristles must have gone under the hot water heater and touched the flame. And uh, my mom, she said, was upstairs with Jorah in the crib sleeping when all of a sudden mom heard the glorious sound of the smoke detector. Mm. And mom came running downstairs. And she saw smoke pouring out of the utility room. She courageously charged into the room with fire. She grabbed the flaming broom with her bare hands. She ran to the front door. And like a javelin throw, she threw this flaming broom away from our house. And Jen says, my mom, 
saved our daughter's life and saved our home for that matter. She's the hero, not the villain. Got it. You know, suddenly I was looking at this whole situation a little differently, all right? Well, here's a different situation. We all interpret stories. We see various pieces of evidence and try to fit together what we think explains what we see. We've got burning brooms in our lives. We've got problems, painful, awful things. The world's on fire, and we want to know who caused it. And a lot of times our trying to figure that out turns to God. And we say, Lord, you know, how can I believe you are all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving, all-wise, and yet you made this world that's just a mess? I saw this uh, just on Friday. I Friday afternoon struck up a conversation with a friend in the neighborhood who's not a Christian. She's far from God. And I said, hey, it's Friday. And she's like, yeah. I said, are you okay? How was your week? She goes, my week was terrible. She goes, okay, Mr. Man of the Cloth. And I'm like, oh boy. She said, "Uh, how can we get all excited about a God who dumps so much junk in our lives? Woo. And I tried, with God's help, to enter into a conversation with great compassion, because clearly she was feeling much pain, and maybe a little of God's truth, and I think it was a fantastic conversation. But that's the question. How can we get all excited about a God who made this mess? Every one of us is asking that question, whether we're Christian or not yet a Christian. We're, we're wondering, how do I get excited about a God who treats me like this? This is the question. Friends, we've got to understand the story. And believe it or not, heaven is essential to understanding the story correctly and correctly discerning God's role in it. And then as a result, the heart of God in the process. So let's look to heaven. We're going to look at Revelation 22 this time. In this series, if you'll permit me, there'll be some bouncing around. We're not done with chapter 21. We will come back to that and We're going to go now to 22. We're going to study verses 2 and 3. I love these verses. Very end of your Bible, Revelation 22, verse 2 and 3. On each side of the river, and I need to pause. That's from last week. Do you remember the river of the tree, the tree, the river of the water of life? Uh, We discovered that God's throne is at the peak of this enormous mountain, this city of the New Jerusalem sits on this enormous mountain with the throne at the top. And out of the throne of God is the source of this river that winds its way through the city of the New Jerusalem and then continues to wind throughout the new earth. And the water is like no water we've ever seen. It is crystal clear and its taste will satisfy like nothing else. It's the gracious provision of God. That's the river, right? On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. Friends, these words, if properly understood, can change your life. And so let's dive in. Allow me to start with tree of life. Let's highlight that. On either side of this river, 
I imagine this tree, this species of tree, is just like a boulevard lining either side of the river. We see this tree, and the tree is so central to our understanding of heaven. And you say, why a tree? Why a tree of life? It sounds almost fairy tale like Well, uh, you're, we're wrong in that. There is a tree. It is very real, and it is very significant. And, 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 and the reason it's not you know, weird. God just likes props. Uh, God loves to illustrate truth with physical, tangible realities. God said, I need to talk about life. I need to bring life to my people. God said, I can make it more accessible to them if I do so through a physical thing. And so God has created the tree of life. Now, you say the tree of life, that sounds familiar. Yes, if you've done any reading in the Bible at all. In fact, if you tried to read the Bible and it didn't go so well, you at least got through the first three chapters, right? Well, there the tree of life was as well. The tree of life is at the end and at the beginning. So I need another one. Here's another one of the tree of life. Same species, and it's at the beginning. Beginning and end. Now, at the beginning, there appears to be just one of them. Here at the end, they're lining either side of this river, so this species of tree. Well, what, what was in few is in abundance in heaven. And as we ask the question, why is it called the tree of life? Actually, some clarity can be gained by going back to Genesis and reading about the tree there. In Genesis 3.22, this is after Adam and Eve have sinned, after they've rebelled from God and broken fellowship with him. Look what God says, Genesis 3.22. Man must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take from the tree of life and eat and live forever. If you want to know why it's called the tree of life, it's because by eating of the fruit of this tree, you'll live forever. Back in the Garden of Eden, immortality was not a natural expression of the human body back then. The bodies just didn't naturally live forever. They lived forever because God provided fruit that enabled them to live forever. And apparently the same tree is found in heaven. And so this is an interesting point. In heaven, we don't live forever because our new bodies are just immortal. No. Our immortality is a gift that we receive from our ongoing fellowship with God as we partake from the fruit he provides from his tree. Isn't that great? God's created things so that we need him to enjoy the fullness of heaven. And immortality is one of the blessings. We won't die ever in heaven. Why? Because God is providing a fruit from the tree of life that we might live. So let's uh, go to the next slide. We highlighted tree of life. Now let's hide bearing 12 crops of fruit and yielding its fruit every month. This is a weird tree. Uh, I'm not a farmer or a tree expert, but my wife does drag me to go apple picking quite often. And in that, I've learned that apple trees have one season of fruit yielding. Uh, For most of the year, you know, the apple tree does you no good. But this one season is robust in its provision and providing of of fruit. But these trees are different. Twelve times a year, rather than one time a year, twelve times. Every month there's this fresh crop. What What is that saying? What is God saying through this unique tree that's in 
this contrast to trees today. I think God is speaking of his generous provision in heaven. He says, I know in this world, just like trees, you have seasons of drought and you have seasons of plenty. You have times where you feel like you have enough and you have times where you are like, I'm dying, I don't have enough. Anybody relate to the financial anguish of worrying about not having enough? Anybody relate to the fear of debt and retirement and how are we going to make it? That anxiety about not having enough that characterizes life here will not characterize life there. God says my provision will be so evident to this tree every month. Just you will not worry about having enough in heaven because I will tangibly show you with crystal clarity. Relax, people. You're in heaven. All financial woes are gone. For some of you, you're like, that's enough for me. I want to go. All right, next slide. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Let me comment on nations, first of all. One of the surprising things about this series is that heaven turns out to be more similar to this life than many of us expected. And one of the ways it'll be similar is there'll be nations. Yes, people will relate to each other. We'll study more about this. People will have communities, neighborhoods, and neighborhood cities, and cities, nations. And there will be nations in heaven, and there will be for every single nation, without exception, everybody will have access to the leaves of that tree. And what will those leaves provide? Healing. Friends, the leaves of the tree will provide healing. I don't know if touching them or how, you know, the access to that healing. And you say, what will we need healing from in heaven? Well, for one, the painful memories of this life. You know, so many of us have experienced unbelievable abuse and suffering and hurt. And you can't break free today from those memories and you wonder, how will I find joy in heaven? I'll tell you how. The healing of the Almighty God applied to your life. Actually, in the previous chapter, Revelation 21, verse 4, God says, I will wipe away every tear from your eyes. God's emotional healing will do such a miraculous work that you will find untold joy again. Others have asked, how can I possibly have joy in heaven if I've got relatives who aren't there, if I've got beloved family members who have rejected God's offer of salvation are are separated from in hell. How can I enjoy heaven knowing they're not there? The only explanation is the supernatural healing of God. He will do a miracle in your soul to provide his love so thoroughly that you will be healed by God in that special way. And now I'm getting speculative here, but how about this for healing? What about physical healing? And you say, wait a minute, I I thought we don't have sickness or disease in heaven. That's right. But, okay, I'm I'm guessing, what if if you're into extreme sports? And what if you're like climbing a mountain in heaven? What if you slip and you break a leg? Is it possible to break a leg in heaven? Well, if it is, I'll tell you this. Healing immediately accessible. In fact, if there's any problem in heaven, it is immediately fixed by the tender and loving provision of God Almighty. That's all we want now, right? Lord, fix all my problems, and we don't get it. We find ourselves living 
between the trees. And in this land between the trees, we have problems and we cry out to God, God, fix my problem, heal my hurt. And sometimes God does. Sometimes leaves from that tree blow into this life. Sometimes God brings miraculous healings and answers to prayer that are tastes of where we're headed. But it's not the full expression of where we're headed. Oftentimes we don't get the problem solved that we want. And so we don't have access to these leaves anymore because we've been banished due to our rebellion and sin. And we haven't arrived to these leaves of healing yet. And so a difficult reality here is we pray for healing. We pray for God to solve the problem and get it some. But we will get it always then and there. All right, next slide. No longer will there be any curse. Does that make your heart sore? It should. You know, you say, ah, that's great, Uh, no curse, whatever that means. Yeah, that's the point. You can't find the joy in the curse's removal until you understand what the curse is. So let's talk a bit about the curse. The curse and the tree are just linked a lot. They're linked here in this verse, and they're linked back in Genesis at the beginning as well. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were banished from the tree in fact, the passage in the Bible says they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden and there was a, a angels guarding the entrance, the way to the tree. Couldn't get to the tree anymore. So with sin came no more tree, and now God said you get the curse. And what is the curse? Well, the curse is the consequence of our rebellious decision. I say our, you know, we are part of humanity. Adam and Eve were representing us. We have continued in their rebellion. So let me describe their rebellion real quickly. Satan came to them. The, the, the angel turned against God in the form of a snake. And Satan said, Adam and Eve, you don't want to follow God. He's given you this rule. Don't eat of the tree of death, he calls it. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't follow God. You can have a better life not listening to what he says. Follow me, Satan says. I will show you a better way. Ignore the kingship of the Almighty. And they did. They disobeyed the one rule God gave them. And in this cosmic rebellion and rejection of God's kingship, there came the curse. God said, now things are broken. The earth is broken. And what is the curse? Well, I'll give you four of the big expressions of the curse. For one, it says in Genesis 3, your bodies will be broken. Uh, God spoke to Eve and said to all uh, women with her, uh, you will find the delivery of children to be wrought with pain. Your bodies are now changed and there is great pain associated with delivery. And not only delivery, our bodies are changed and there's great pain associated in so much. You know, we look at birth defects and we look at disease and we look at injury and chronic pain. These are a result of the curse. The curse just led to these bodies being wonderful gifts in some ways, but just a mess in others. The curse. Not only our bodies, but our relationships. It was said to Adam and Eve, now your marriage will be strained. There will be battles for who's in control and tension as a result of the curse. And it's not just marriage. Many relationships are strained. Some of our greatest anguish is because of relational difficulties. How do we explain that? The curse. 
not only the body and relationships, but also work. You say, work is part of the curse? I knew it, that terrible job. I don't know. Let me be clear. I am not saying that work is part of the curse. In fact, work was given to Adam and Eve before they sinned. Work is a beautiful gift from God. But upon their sin, the curse is that work has changed. And now it was said to Adam, yeah, you'll farm the land, but it will be painful toil that will yield fruits. And so there's a frustration in work, a difficulty at work, a pain at work. And any struggle or anxiety or suffering that your work life produces, what's the explanation? The curse. One more. The earth is cursed. It was announced to Adam and Eve that now the very biology of planet earth will shift and it will produce thorns and thistles, which just speak to the beauty of creation now, uh, you know, a little off. And when we look at the natural disasters and dangers that, el- that exist in the natural world, the curse, it's different now. And you, you may really be bothered by this teaching on the curse. Uh, you say, well, it's good that it's gone in heaven, but why did God create it in the first place? Sounds like he's being petty. Sounds like God's almost a bully. It's like God's like, all right, you, you ignore me. Well, I'll smack you. How about this? The curse, you know. Is that what it is? Does this convey, you know, a, a meanness of God? Not so. I am convinced that to explain the curse and hold on to God's love, you can understand in two ways. For one, the curse is the natural consequence of our rebellion, all right? Here, I'll use a chair to illustrate Uh, God says, you know, when you kick me out, when you say, I don't want you, you're done. God says, you don't expect things to be the same after a decision like that. Here's why. God says, I hold everything together. The earth was made to require God's sustaining involvement. Just as this chair is able to balance nicely on one leg because I'm holding it. If the chair were to say, let go of me, get out. Well, there would be a natural consequence to that decision. And similarly, when we tell God, we don't need you, get out. We can't expect things to function normally. We, we already learned about immortality, that the, the living forever came by God providing through the fruit of the tree of life. When you tell the one who provides that, get out, okay, but you're going to miss out on immortality in so many other ways. Now, to not overstate the illustration, I am not saying that God is never involved with any sustaining of planet Earth. No, he's still holding things together. But to some degree, and of his infinite wisdom, he let go some so that we can experience some of the consequence of our decision. God thought that only right to give us a taste of what we've asked for. And so I, I understand the curse to be more passive. God's saying, all right, you chose that. Now things aren't going to work like they were supposed to. You're going to get to live in the consequence of that decision. So there's one natural consequence. Another explanation for God's goodness in light of the curse is this. God saw that the curse could strategically be used to maximize salvation. In this era between the trees, God says, I'm going to allow the curse, pain, and suffering to exist in this era because this is also the era when people have opportunity to choose reconciliation with me. 
It's only between the trees that people can repent of their sin and turn to Christ and find reconciliation. And God says, I care about your salvation more than I care about your comfort. And if the curse and suffering will scream to you, something's wrong, there's a problem, and lead to you asking questions about why am I hurting and why is life a mess, and eventually find the solution, God says that's a good thing. I think God said, if I make this paradise in here, if I prevented any of the natural consequence of your rebellion from coming your way, and you skipped through this life with you know, no suffering, I know humanity, they'd never turn to me. They'd just be preoccupied with the goodness of life and never turn to me. And God says, I care about something more than your comfort, and that is your salvation. Here, I can use the uh, smoke detector to illustrate this point. Uh, these things, uh, the sound, some, somebody invented this sound, and they should be thrown in jail forever. I mean, is that awful? I mean, and also the batteries are made to just run out in the middle of the night when you're sleeping. And so that sound, I've wanted to smash these babies with a hammer. I've been so frustrated with them. And, and one could ask, why didn't they make it beautiful music? Well, the reason they didn't make it pleasant is if it was pleasant, you'd sleep right through it. You'd never know there's a problem, right? By making the experience awful, it jars you out of your sleep, and you're like, ah, something's wrong because it's screaming at me. That's what suffering is. Suffering in this life is this painful dissonance that makes us go, what's up, what's up? God said, listen, if I sang all beautiful songs, no one would realize something's wrong. But it's screaming, pain screams that something is terribly wrong. Be aware, this is not how it's supposed to be. The, the world's on fire. Smell the smoke and seek rescue. And God says, so many people have found Christ as a result of suffering. I permitted in the time between the trees, strategically using it to maximize people coming to me. So we're beginning to see, are we not, that as we understand the story, this problem between the trees is we thought God was, maybe you thought God was the villain. No, God's the hero. In fact, you want to understand his heroic uh, devotion to this story? To those of us, and that's all of us, who have to journey between the trees, God says, I'll show you my love between the trees in the greatest of ways, and that's through Jesus. Jesus came to life between the trees. And Jesus is the tender expression of God's love to those of us who journey between. What did Jesus do? Well, two things. He paid and he stayed. Pay, stay. And you say, what do you mean by that? Well, number one, he paid. Jesus paid the price that enables us to even get to the other tree. If Jesus didn't pay the price of his death on the cross, accessing, getting out of this mess and getting to this tree would never be a possibility. I'll tell you why. Because sin, this rebellion that Adam and Eve started, that we all joined, it's a big deal. Cosmic rebellion of the authority of the maker. You'd say, oh, God can just wink at that and say, oops, Let's pretend that never happened. No, he can't do that. God is just. And sweeping it under the rug and pretending it didn't happen is not an option. God must see that justice is served. But he came up with this unbelievably creative solution. And God said, what if justice is served and I serve it for you? 
Jesus Christ is God on planet earth in human flesh, taking the guilt of the world onto his own shoulders, dying on the cross, paying the death penalty to satisfy justice, and with our sin paid, atoned for, we have access to the tree of life. And without Jesus making that payment, we'd never get there. So pay, stay. First pay. He paid the price so we can get there. Stay. He stays by our side as we journey through this difficult land. Jesus says, I would never call my people to make this treacherous trek on their own. Jesus said to his disciples, and lo, I am with you always, even till the very end of the age. I will see you through. You will pass through the fire, but I will be there. And it's that presence of the Lord giving us strength to endure and love when we need it, and encouragement and guidance. We make it one reason. He stays by our side the whole way. And when the story, the fuller story starts to get told, we start to realize, oh my. Here, you know, in my earlier days, I was saying, God, why did you do this? Accusing him. And now I'm realizing, I started the fire. He's not the villain. He's the hero. His love and goodness is not canceled by the reality of pain and suffering, but more fully displayed when the story, the fuller story, is told. Friends, our God is good, amazingly good. And his love for you is available even now. So if if I had two practical applications of this study of the trees, one is the character of God. Be confident of his stunning goodness. And the second, uh, the second application would be this. It has to do with us enduring the land between the trees, of us suffering between the trees. Uh, actually, let me show you a verse. Can I do that first? Here, uh, 2 Corinthians. Look at this. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 17. The Apostle Paul refers to your problems, and don't yell at him, as our light and momentary troubles. <laughs> You're like, hey, it's not light, and it's not momentary. It's heavy, and it's lasted forever. Does it really last forever? You know, it's light because it's momentary. The key to right-sizing the problems is realizing they're temporary, that we are in this blip between the trees. You say blip? Yeah, blip. I say it's a blip because think about eternity past. I mean, God has existed forever. So there's like eternity this way, trillions and trillions of years where there was no curse or problem. And, And eternity this way in the future, it goes forever, trillions and trillions and trillions of years. When you have eternity on either side and you look where we're living, you realize relatively, this is just a blip. This is a short little window. And friends, when we know it's temporary, We can endure about anything. When we realize that, yes, this is where I live for a time, but I'll be out of here before I know it. These trials and troubles are quickly going to be gone forever. We can endure just about anything. You know, I use this uh, little trick, I used to use this trick with my kids when they were younger. We'd be at a restaurant that has, you know, a candle for ambiance. Have you ever uh, seen that before? And uh, we would, I would tell the kids, hey, you want to see how amazing your dad is? And they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Okay, watch this. And I put my hand right through the flames. <gasps> oh, Dad, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah, no problem. Oh, that hurts so bad. But I'll do it again, you know, and I'll do it again. And, and what's the reality? Is it not hot? No, it's very hot. But I can endure it if I'm only passing through. If I were to leave it there forever, yeah, my hand would become roast beef. You know, it would be awful. But, <laughs> but I can handle about anything if we're only passing through. And friends, we're only passing through. From eternity's perspective, this little journey between the trees is so short and quickly passing. May God give you perspective regarding your suffering. May you see how short-lived it is. May you have hope and joy and confidence in God in your short journey between the trees. Would you pray with me? Father, I just want to pray for my friends. Thinking of all of you at Bolingbrook, all of you at 95th, Wheaton, Hobson. And there's a lot of suffering at our four campuses. People who are coming with hearts that are just crushed from their suffering and problems. And God, I pray that the truth of your heart and your story would bring comfort to them even now. That they would know of your love and not doubt. That they would experience your staying by their side, Jesus. And that they would look forward to, with giddy excitement, the end of this trial and the restoration to your plan. Oh, Lord, minister to us with your love and get us excited about the healing and the fullness that is so close at hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.